It is now the third reading of that passage from Revelation that I have heard in the last two weeks. The first one was read by the Reverend Tim Trent at my wife's funeral. My wife, Nell, passed away, and her funeral was two weeks ago, and Tim read that text. We read it a second time at the funeral of Kathy Jorgensen's and Diane's mother. And now we read it a third time. You need to know that I did not pick that text. That text picked me. We follow the lectionary most of the time in this service, which means there's a calendar that has assigned scripture readings for each Sunday. And that epistle lesson from Revelation 21 was assigned for today. And so I feel like the Lord picked it for us. And here we are. I am told by many people that I am living in a new reality, and they are right. I am. I know that. It is very new, very different. And yet I think about what sort of reality is my wife living in. Hers is newer than mine. I look at her clothes. I look at her dishes her personal effects, and I think, how are you alive without these things on which you have depended for 66 years? I try to imagine her life, and I cannot imagine it. It is too wonderful to imagine. It is too far beyond me to imagine. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and I saw the new Jerusalem coming down from out of heaven from God, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning, crying, pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And we read those words, and we think of them at funerals, and they are beyond our imagining. And yet the text actually is not so much about individual survival. It is about the new creation. It is about the radical reordering of human society. We have seen many utopian efforts come and go. They've always failed. And people get an, get an idea of how to perfect society, how to perfect human life, and they go after it with a singleness of purpose, and they think that if they only do the right things, everything will be as it should be. And we've seen that many, many times, and always those efforts fail. And so we hear John's word about a new heaven and a new earth, and we can't imagine it. How can that be? It is even more fantastic than to think of those who are in heaven. And yet John said, this is what I saw. Coming down out of heaven. John lived in the days of Roman greatness. It was a greatness that was predicated upon Roman cruelty. John knew, felt, experienced the brutality of policies hatched by megalomaniacs. 
John saw the corruption of the world around him and in a vision given by God declared that everything would be made new. His vision came from heaven and it was of a new heaven. It came to earth and it was of a new earth. And that, dear friends, is even more difficult to imagine than the new reality in which we believe our deceased loved ones live. It is even more fantastic. Some of our members recently visited Jerusalem. I got them into that and then I didn't go with them. And I think in some ways they were disappointed. They found it to be primarily a city driven by commerce. Some of them walked the Via Della Rosa, that path that Jesus took when he carried his cross. And they were told, you can carry your cross. You can carry the cross on the same route that Jesus took. It'll cost you $100. Jerusalem, of course, is a divided city. It is a city that exemplifies to the world humanity's inability to get along. John envisions a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. In John's day, the old Jerusalem had fallen victim to the Romans. It was a shell of its former self. And this new Jerusalem, dazzling in its appearance, peaceful, righteous, holy in its essence. John says, we'll come down from God. Who can imagine that? Who can dream such a thing? No one can build it. No one can make it happen. It is of God. But, but how do we prepare for that which God is doing, that which is promised in this last book of our Holy Scripture? As Jesus prepares to leave his disciples, he says to them, where I am going, you cannot come. I know how that feels. Not to be able to go to that other place. And of course, Jesus is going to the cross, but then he's also going to Easter. He's going to the resurrection. He's going to the ascension, Jesus is going to that heavenly realm to which they can only go when they leave this world. He's going to that realm of the new reality from which the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and the new earth will emerge. They cannot go where he is going and neither can we as long as we are in this world. But Jesus leaves them with the key to that glorious realm I give you a new commandment, he says, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. By this will all know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It is the simplest of commands and the most profound. It is the mark of Christian authenticity. By this will all know that you are my disciples. By your theology, by your politics, by your culture, no, no. By this will all know you are my disciples, Jesus says. By this will you be identified if you have love for one another.
Love is the key to it all. We ought to love as Jesus loves us. And that requires that we begin by allowing Jesus to love us. It is to admit our considerable unlovableness. It is to acknowledge our sin. It is to confess that we are part of the problem. We are the ones who keep the world from being as God intends it. We fail in our relationships with one another. We fail in our relationships to the whole of creation. We fail. We fail. And Jesus does not condemn us. Rather, he loves us. He forgives us. He restores us. And we begin to move into life when we allow the Lord to do that for us. We move into life as we allow the Lord to do that through us. As we love one another with the same love with which he has loved us in that same reality, then we are part of the very life of God. We are part of the new reality from which God makes all things new. We are joined to heaven and to earth. Then our prayer is answered when we pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then we begin to get a taste of the life that our loved ones in heaven know in its fullness. The way to this new reality is so sublime. It is so rich, so varied, so deep. But it is also very specific and very practical. For example, it involves our willingness to let go of our prejudices. The early Christian community did this with respect to the Gentiles. The first Christians were Jews. As such, they had a built-in suspicion of those who were not Jews. You know we all do that. We all are suspect of those who are not like us. They considered the Gentiles unclean, and that began to change when Peter had a vision. He saw it coming down out of heaven three times, three times, I would remind you. God seems to work in threes. It changed when Peter obeyed God's call and went to visit Cornelius, a Roman and a Gentile. It changed when the Holy Spirit breathed the same life into Cornelius and his people as the Spirit had breathed into Peter and his people. It was a very big hurdle. And those first Christians got over it. They move beyond it for the sake of love. They love these new brothers and sisters as Christ loved them. They allowed the circle of grace to be widened. And that's how it works. There is much we do not understand. There is much we cannot imagine. Who can really imagine life beyond this life? Who can begin to imagine God's new creation? A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. The good news is we don't have to understand it. We don't have to imagine it. It is not a brave new world of our making. It is not a utopia of our dreaming. It is God's work. We have only to prepare for it. We have only to make ready for it. 
And for that, the key is love. It is love. We have these little ones here who are just starting out. All of life before them. And some of the rest of us know that we're in the last season of our lives. And it all points to a reality that is so much bigger than we are that we cannot really envision or imagine. And whether it's the little ones or whether it's us older ones, the key, the key, sisters and brothers, Jesus says, is that we love one another, that we treat each other with kindness. My daughter quoted someone yesterday to me. I don't know the source of this. She said, the world is chaotic. Be kind. Good quote. The world is chaotic. Be kind. There is a kindness. There is a depth. There is a promise in love. As we sing our final hymn, you are invited to allow the Lord to love you to receive Christ as your Lord, your Savior. If you'd like to share that with us, we would delight in it with you. If you're interested in joining Dauphin Way, we're always interested in talking with you about that. We'd love to have that conversation. But let us stand and sing. And our hymn today is printed in the bulletin. The words are printed in the bulletin. The, the, The tune will be familiar. And we'll invite you to stand and sing together. Help us accept each other.